Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bundesliga podcast coming from Total Football Analysis. My name is David Seymour and every week myself and Cam Megan will go through different issues from the Bundesliga, uh, tactical concepts, what, whatever. Um, and sometimes we're joined by a guest and luckily today we are joined by a guest. I mean, with, with nothing going on in the world right now, if someone says they're too busy, we, ba- we both know they're lying. So... Uh, we have got Carl Elsick on today, who is one of our Bundesliga analysts from the website. Uh, and Carl's coming all the way from Phoenix, Arizona. Carl, how are you doing? I'm doing well, David. How are you? Um, very good. Thank you very much for asking. And Cam. Hello. There we go. The, the dulcet tones of Cam Megan. <laughs> how are things with you, Cam? All right. Decent. About it. Yeah. Excellent. I'm good as well. Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's the banter that we have. Uh, we've got really good rapport. <laughs> People listen to this podcast just for the, um, the to and throw between me and Cam. Um, okay, so today's podcast is the first of a series that Cam and I want to do. Um, um, we are going to be doing these over the next sort of, well, month or two, really, intermittently, with no real structure. But Cam and I wanted to look at different managers that have had a tactical impact on the Bundesliga. And we have invited our guests who are coming on to do this to set uh, the tone, to choose the manager, and we'll go from there. So, Carl, as you have chosen the manager, why don't you give a nice little introduction? Um, and by all means, Cam and I will jump in as well to give some extra info if you miss anything. So the pressure is on. Go for it. Perfect. So uh, we selected uh, Jurgen Klopp, who is one of the uh, kind of almost poster boy for German managers, I think. Um, but his his impact on the Bundesliga definitely uh, reaches far and wide. Uh, one of the big things I think Klopp allowed to happen is to have the club owners give some or people who run clubs give some opportunities to younger managers. Uh, he went directly from playing for Mainz to managing them um, with his unique style of play. And so um, he obviously then went on to have a very successful spell there, uh, a very successful spell at Dortmund, and is uh, obviously now in charge of Liverpool. Um, and so just digging into what he has brought to the Bundesliga, um, how he has kind of contributed to the development of that league, I thought was a super important place to to start at and to look at. Yeah, and I think it, I think it's worth pointing out that um, Bob was by no means sort of an easy you know decision. It, it certainly raised a few eyebrows when he was appointed the Mainz manager. Um, I mean, obviously, that's not the first time that Mainz have made an interesting appointment that has worked out well. Of course, Thomas Tuchel as well. Um, when he when he took over at Mainz, I believe they were bottom of the second Bundesliga at the time, and um, he managed to keep them up at the end of that season. And then he had two full seasons following that, where he finished fourth both seasons. And then on the third full season they had, he got promoted. Um, I think it was, I think he finished in third. And yeah, they had had a, a short but relatively successful spell in the Bundesliga, where he, he was able to keep Mainz afloat and. Um, Got them into Europa League, although I believe that was through the fair play 
award, but nevertheless, they got into the Europa League. <laughs> and then um, when they were relegated, he decided to leave after not getting them promoted um, the first time round. So following that, he moved on to Dortmund. And yeah, as you said, very successful spell at Dortmund where he won two Bundesligas and uh, a DFB Pokal Cup as well. And then, yeah, as you said, he's moved on to Liverpool where Cam watches him week in, week out. Yeah, biggest club in England. Decent step up. Oh, <laughs> please. Um, okay, so I think it will be a great way to start here. We've, we've given a little bit of background about Klopp and I think the, the easiest way, way to, to go about this is just to drop the, the, the uh, elephant in the room, the word that everyone associates with Klopp, which is Gagan Press. And it would be great to hear a breakdown of Gagan Press and sort of go through how that came about. Go for it, Cameron Megan. And again, if you don't get if you don't get it all right, I'm going to jump down your throat because I've got notes here too, and I know that you are the uh, the counter pressing uh, king of the uh, website. So <laughs> you've called me that. I haven't he, called you, myself that. You call yourself that. <laughs> I know you do. It's on your business card. I think I saw it on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw it on Twitter. His bio. <laughs> <laughs> right, go on, Cam. Yeah. So Klopp pretty much put. Uh, game pressing or counter pressing to the, the forefront really and brought to the mainstream as a tactic particularly in the Champions League with his Dortmund side um, basically counter pressing if, if you don't know somehow from watch, from listening to the podcast um, it's it's pressing after you've lost the ball so well, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be pressing it can also be covering passing lanes and there's four different coverage variants to counter pressing um, which we'll, I'll go into as well in terms of what Dortmund did, but basically it was it was about winning the ball back straight away after after you've lost it, and the way Dortmund did that was through a very narrow, tight structure that allowed them to attack well because they had the players to do it and they could play vertically as well. But then if they lost it, they're all in a tight area already to go and win the ball back straight away. Yeah, I think it was that that horizontal pressing that he added in, which. Um... Or the horizontal compactness, I should say, where when the ball was worked into those wide areas, they were so so uh, so good at winning the ball back. Um, mm-hmm. Camp, I mean, like obviously, pressing like this is is by no means sort of a, a new invention. It wasn't like Klopp started this. I mean, he you know he would have been inspired by the likes of Wolfgang Frank, who was at Mainz um, mm-hmm. when he was a player as well, and um, Ralph Rangnick, and I guess before that, you know, the likes of um, Valery Lobanovsky and and so on and so forth, um, but how does how would you say Klopp's uh, take on the press varied from? And I'm specifically using this as to tee you up for this because it should be a, a slam dunk for you. How does it differ to, for example, how Guardiola would um, prioritize pressing? Why why did these the teams press in such a way? Yeah, so Dortmund's press, uh, the counter press with Klopp was space orientated so that was completely directed on the ball the ball carrier and that whole area around it so it it almost looks a little bit chaotic at times because you lose the ball and it goes and straight away everybody closes that space off um guardiola's was a little bit more um probably a little bit more neater looking in terms of it was orientated on passing lanes so they looked to once they lost the ball snap into areas where they could cut passes off so not necessarily everybody just rushing in towards the ball so if you see, I know you mentioned um, Carl 
about his Mines team and some of his Dortmund games as well. Occasionally, they do just absolutely smash people just by everybody <laughs> rushing in towards the ball. And uh, to be honest, I was quite shocked about that fa- that fair play award at Mines. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think as well, I mean, Klopp's pressing system was about winning the ball back as quick as possible, as you say, and preventing the other team from being able to counter-attack. I think when we look at Guardiola, for example, that press is just to make sure that you know, his Bayern side or his Barca side before that were able to get the ball back as quick as possible and then continue to dominate teams with their possession. Um, mm-hmm. But I think what was interesting with Klopp's as well is that he used his gegenpressing system uh, not as a defensive system, but more as an attacking system. I believe he was quoted as saying it was the best playmaker um, in his team or something along those lines. Carl, was that something that you noticed when you, you were sort of watching back these games from Dortmund uh, or Mainz? Oh, for sure. And I, I definitely saw that. I read that same quote too about the about it being the best playmaker. And I think part of that just comes from if you are the man on the ball and you are in possession, just the like sense of, I think, I, I forgot who said earlier, of chaos, just like people swarming around you and people running at you. You really don't know what to do. So you're either playing it backwards or you're just going to send it long to to avoid like losing possession in that space. But the... The from an attacking player standpoint or the man of possession, like the how overwhelmed you must feel yeah. in that moment, you just your first instinct is to just get rid of it and to and to <laughs> almost give it to another teammate and have him be responsible for where the ball goes. Because uh, it's it's the players will just absolutely run at you and and those passing lanes get closed down and kind of everyone just the walls start closing in. Um, there's there's no chance for you to go anywhere with it. It's, it's a relatively old school concept in a sense, and it's it's probably quite similar to the pressing systems we saw even in this country in the 70s and 80s. And I believe Klopp has commented on that before. But I think what was particularly powerful about this system is that Dortmund were able to go like this for a full 90 minutes and commit all these players to one ball area as such, one one area of the pitch where a player was in possession, which it's incredibly risky, but they were able to, you know, leave players in their cover shadow when they were sprinting at these players at full pelt. Um, and like you said, it's just that moment of of sheer panic when you go, "Oh my gosh!" Like what? Like what do I? What do I do here? Um, and yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting to see though. I mean, I, I'd be interested to hear your opinion on this. Actually, in fact, whether you think it became less effective the more that time went on i mean would you agree that other teams in the league cam copied this system whilst he was still at dortmund and therefore perhaps led to dortmund being le- less of an effective team yeah so with any transition based kind of team the way to stop them is to try and limit the amount of transitions you give up and um, it's something that guardiola's tried to do against klopp in the bundesliga and also in the premier league as well um so I think teams start to sit back a little bit more and then you limit those transitions of how they can create create those moments high up the pitch. And then from there, you're relying on um, positional play concepts and things like that, which isn't what Dortmund wanted to do, I don't think. Do you, do you think it was a leveller? Do you think that his pressing system was able to get the best out of players that were... I mean, I'm not, I, by the way, I'm not saying that the players at Dortmund were by any means poor players, but were perhaps more limited than their Bayern Munich counterparts? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's a, it's a good way to get a club kind of punching above its weight and that it's that, that added force. And I mean, it, it led to those two league titles, which mm-hmm. were granted at a time where Byron were not as strong as they typically have been, but it still allowed them to, um, for the first couple of years at least, really kind of get an advantage on clubs before, like you said, they they did catch up and they were able to kind of adapt to it and figure out, like Cam said, to reduce the amount of transitions in a game is, is to negate one of their big uh, tools that they use for creating opportunities for themselves. Cam, what do you think? Yeah, I was going to point out as well, it's worth mentioning, we've used the word chaos a few times. Um, with Dortmund and with Klopp, it, it, it's almost organized chaos in terms of the structure of how they do it. Um, it, it's not a random Absolutely. everybody rush towards the ball it's people rush towards the ball in certain areas and we've got the players around them to do that um, and also offensively as mm-hmm. well um, Klopp was one of the first or certainly one of the main people who used the term half space within the terminology um, him and Guardiola so it it wasn't people ask sometimes is, is Klopp a long ball coach and um, the question's not exactly a great question, but um, it, but it <laughs> yeah, it's not just because in terms of the offensive movement and the rotations around the half space and things like that, which I'm sure we'll get into, um, they're not just solely focusing on transitions, but that was certainly the strength, and that's certainly where where the the big the big moments in his Dortmund career came from. So if you think about them. Battering Real Madrid 4-1, that was a, tra- a, a counter-pressing game, basically, where they just killed Real Madrid doing that. So that's what sticks out most, but it's worth remembering is also brilliant tactically as well. Yeah, and I think it, it came at a time where, um, I mean, that let's, let's just talk about Guardiola's Barca side, for example. It came at a time where teams were looking at that, you know, that side and... and seeing how well they kept possession, seeing how long they were able to keep the ball for, seeing how they were able to suffocate teams mm-hmm. with the ball. And, and Guardiola spoke about how, you know, it's, it's the best form of defense is keeping the ball. And, and Klopp sort of turned that on his head. And, you know, just going back to what you were talking about with counter-pressing cam, you know, Klopp was looking at as soon as they lose possession and the team that the, they're playing against enters into that attacking transition, that is when that team is, is arguably most vulnerable shape-wise. And so you can win that ball back as quick as possible and then attack. Um, there's going to be space to attack you know, in, the, in the opposition's defense. So it was really interesting to see that sort of transition in the game. And, and I think, I mean, there's a debate now where you could argue that perhaps, perhaps the, the sort of pressing system or pressing football is, is more prevalent than Guardiola's, you know, Tactics, uh, sorry, Guardiola's tactics of, of keeping the ball and, and playing teams to death. Um, and you could certainly argue that by looking at how successful Liverpool have been under Klopp, particularly in the last year or two. Um, yeah, let's jump into this. I don't just want to focus on Gagan Preston and his pressing system for the whole podcast. And I'm sure we'll be revisiting this at some point. You know, it's, it's going to be prevalent through, throughout. But yeah, let's, let's break down how, um, how he looks to play in possession. Let's break down, um, some, I guess, maybe the four phases of the game. So, Carl, I mean, what did you notice? Uh, the big thing that stood out to me is 
um, especially in in Klaus earlier years when he was at Mainz, is their uh, emphasis on on vertical passing and just trying to get the ball up the pitch as as quickly as possible. Um, at initially too with with Mainz, the some some of the vertical passing was almost um, I would describe it as like aimless. Like it 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 definitely had a and an intent behind it, but um, forcing the ball off the field didn't seem to be like the worst thing that Mainz could do. I think it, it's definitely something that he instructed them to do to try to find that space and, and put the ball in there. Um, but even like some simple passing structures, there were multiple times where he did like the classic up, back, and through, which is again, mm-hmm. very vertical. Um, but that's a really good way to, to break lines of pressure. Um, but that being said, when, when they were building up through the back and they were kind of going against a team that would sit in a little bit more, um, they were also able to attack fairly compactly. Um, almost like there, there was, I I was watching a a match against Schalke from 2005 and there was very little width involved. There was actually almost everyone was on one side of the pitch. Uh, just willing to try to like pass through and then um, again find those vertical passing lanes to be able to exploit. Yeah, Cam, do you want to add something um, to that? Yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing in terms of um, longer passing, vertical passing. Um, just there's some ridiculous examples of goals against teams like Stuttgart where there's like four up back through passes before they eventually score from it. Um, obviously, the advantage of those up back through passes being that. You can play a play one long ball, which gets your team up the pitch, and you can also then access a player who um, who you couldn't access before, and they've also got that body orientation to go forward straight away. So it's a similar kind of concept to to third man um, concept in a way, with that you can access a different player that you couldn't before by playing the ball uh, vertically first. And I think certainly at Dortmund mm. um, with with Lewandowski, Lewandowski was. Um, particularly good at this, he was more of a not a target man, but it, I suppose in a way he was um, for those vertical passes. But he did also drop in a few times and then drop wide occasionally. Yeah, I think I think one one thing as well that um, I mean I'm sure we'll revisit that vertical passing because there's a question at the end which I, I feel like we're going to have to revisit that specifically. But one one thing I noticed with that Dorman side. Um, and this is different to, to this, his Liverpool side now, is how in attack you would see quite, quite a narrow shape from that Dortmund team and looking to move perhaps to sort of one side of the pitch together, which you would generally associate with that, uh, with defending. And I wondered, Cam, if you could uh, enlighten us as to, as, to, as to why Klopp would look to do that. Yeah, that's, that's just about the... The counter pressing the rest defense again in a way. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned Liverpool in terms of how they now structure it. They still they provide the width now with the fullbacks, um, but they've still got lots of central um, players around the ball, or certainly at least behind the ball, close to it, so they can counter press. Same thing applied with Dortmund in terms of get as many players in a small compact area, so that we can still play. So that if we lose the ball, you can counter press and keep the ball where it is, or at least win it back. But but nevertheless, I mean, Carl, maybe you want to jump in on this one. Nevertheless, I, I'd say it's fair to say that 
I mean, they had some dangerous players on the wing and quite an old-fashioned German style of football, sort of, of you know, get the ball down the line and cross it into a, a big number nine. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Carl? Yeah, I uh, also, I mean, obviously you have to highlight Lewandowski when talking about that Dortmund team, but um, I think they're that pure, not pure, but like that, that very typical uh, German football was definitely there. Um, and I think, I know looking at some of the matches I was watching, they also committed, they were willing to commit men into that half space, um, which I know Cam talked about, like he was one of the earlier people on the half space trend. Um, but, mm. but by being able to put their, put people there when in possession, you can then still continue that, that crossing scheme by attra- attracting some of that attention to the little bit more towards the center of the pitch and then play it back out wide to, to get a man open. Um, but especially when, when they're so compact, if they are able to get out a little bit and, and have an outside back who is willing to press up, which I cannot remember the player's name. This is going to drive me nuts, but they had, a, they had someone at Dortmund who would kind of just be willing to get forward um, and provide some of that with, obviously not to the extent that Liverpool does it now. Um, but those, those crosses were still very much a, uh, a big part of their offense and a big part of their attack getting forward. I think it's worth noting as well, um, Liverpool now, partly because of the way they play and partly because the way teams set up against them, they have longer possession phases than Dortmund did. Mm. And therefore, the fullbacks can push up more and more. Dortmund didn't have anywhere near as long possession phases, so the fullbacks they, they did try and go forward, um, but I, I don't think they can even get into the positions that yeah. um, Liverpool's doing time. Yeah, I think I think if 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 you're a Klopp fan from what he's been doing with Liverpool, I think it'd be easy to to look at how Liverpool play going forward and just assume that that's similar to how how Klopp played and I think that the role that Lewandowski has compared to let's say Firmino is incredibly diff- different I mean Cam you're probably better than anyone to, to talk about that yeah well um, Firmino is more of a, a false nine type player um, mm-hmm. in terms of actual just playing styles they are completely different players Lewandowski is a lot more physical and a lot better header of the ball like you mentioned with those crosses Um the formation sometimes were a little bit different as well in terms of Klopp did at Dortmund. It was either a four-two-three-one, a four-four-two, or a kind of a mix between them all in terms of like a four-four-one-one or things like that. So that did impact a little bit of how they played in terms of you didn't. Firmino always has Mane and Salah with him on the same line pretty much, and Lewandowski didn't always have that. So he was more of then a target player for those those vertical passes, but. I don't think they're completely opposite. Um, Firmino is sometimes a target of those vertical passes and he's surprisingly good in the air, Firmino. Um, So I don't think they're completely different, but certainly in terms of just the way the players are, in terms of finishing as well, things like that, they are different players. So I think think one of the things with um, this Dortmund team, and I'd be interested to hear whether you think uh, this is down to the physical condition as as a team, or whether it's down to um, really just understanding Klopp's principles. But 
I, I read this story when I was uh, researching this podcast that if this Dortmund team covered more than 118 kilometers collectively in nine out of 10 matches, they would be rewarded with three extra days off on their winter break, which first of all, I just thought was, I mean, I, mind-blowing. But then, I mean, I think when, when and I just going back to something that Cam said earlier of, of it's, it's not, it's organized chaos. It's not just pure chaos. Um, do you think that, that, <laughs> I don't know if that story, first of all, misleads people into thinking that Dortmund were just running around like headless chicken. Um, but do you think that Klopp's style changed during his time at Dortmund because of his, his tactics? Or do you think he sort of gradually realized that his team didn't need to do this much running? I mean, it still covered a lot of ground, but that's a, that's a crazy amount. Um, do you think that as time went on, he realized that there was a sort of more uh, efficient way of employing his pressing tactics? Yeah, so we mentioned that change, of, that slight change in play at Liverpool. Um, I think when he first came to Liverpool, it wasn't that different. Liverpool were still a lot more transition-based. Um, and then because of not the lack of success, but not the same success he had at Dortmund, he did start to kind of tone it down a little bit in terms of we then... We never had a defensive midfielder for ages at Liverpool and he then toned it down and brought in um, Fabinho and players like that. Um, and also the personnel changed as well in terms of the recruitment at Liverpool has been brilliant. So he's he's been able to bring in players who can um, play that same kind of transition football as they need to, but can also play that more possession-based style of play. Um, obviously, in terms of transition football, you get more moments of, of that chaos or that random part of the game mm. um, and therefore it, it is a little bit more riskier in terms of if you don't win those transitions sometimes and sometimes Liverpool didn't but certainly in like the 15-16 the season I think it was or maybe the 16-17 um, Liverpool was scoring loads and loads of goals on the counter-attack um, I remember against West Ham they used to do it all the time <laughs> and do you, do you think it was uh, I'm just ignoring that West Ham drive do you think? <laughs> do you think though that let's let's go to Dorman? Do you think that at the end of his time at Dorman, that he was starting to see like what you're talking about that he could employ going forward? Um, maybe. Um, again, the the personnel is different. I don't think his Dortmund side could play the same way that his Liverpool side can now, simply because of the players they have. Um, Fullbacks, as in, term, in terms of Robertson, Alexander Arnold, and um, who was it at Dortmund? It had been Pijek and Schmelzer, sometimes Grosskreutz as well. Um, yep. Different players as well, mm-hmm. probably better defensively. Um, Pijek, certainly, probably better defensively than um, Alexander Arnold is. Um, but I think, I think there was still, though, there was still that uh, emphasis on having players that could. Deliver, deliver a good ball. I mean, he, yeah, he played Grosskreutz and Blasikovsky would often be on, mm-hmm. on the, the, the wings and looking to sort of hang those balls in the, in the box for Lewandowski. So, I mean, it's still similar principles, do you think? Yeah. At least in terms of possession? Yeah, there was still, um, like I mentioned, with the teams becoming more wary of the transitions and trying to stop them a little bit, so they did have to adapt. And they did become better at breaking teams down, as it were. Um, but 
I think recruitment will, help, will have hurt them as well because every time Dortmund seemed to be getting somewhere, um, Hummels would go, Gertz would go, Lewandowski would go, <laughs> probably more for Kundigan when. Carl, do you think that was sort of what really sort of put the nail in the coffin for him a little bit uh, in terms, I'm not going to say his commitment, but perhaps as they started losing these players, he possibly started looking at his next challenge? I think I think Arena played part of a role. I know I I can't imagine a scenario where that's not incredibly frustrating. Um, but also, it would uh, more often than not the news would leak super way earlier than the transfer, so it would be in like April or something like that. Um, and I I'm sure that drove him nuts just because. <laughs> I mean, you have someone who's committed to another team already, and you're still in your season fighting to to win a title. Um, which I think is actually why he made his announcement earlier was for when he was leaving Dortmund. I think he said he wanted to uh, make sure that recruitment would be impacted accordingly so people wouldn't leave or whatever it is. But I, I would say hmm. more than than personnel, it's, it seems like he's a, a, a wonderful leader and someone who's going to inspire whoever's in that dressing room um, just based off of how hard every single team, every match I watched, all his teams run incredibly hard. They don't back out of a challenge. Like they're they're committed to the cause um, for the entire match. But I think, I mean, you got also have to consider the time he was at Dortmund. He was there for, I think it was five years, right? It was it was a long time. Or no, sorry, not five years, um, seven. And so I think at that point, teams are are going to have enough uh, chances to to face you and to to make a game plan, which is going to force you to have to try to play in possession more and, and try to break them down that way. And so I think it's, it's, it's that um, having to change your style of play also a little bit with the personnel leaving um, and just the, the tenure that he had there is, is kind of unheard of nowadays. And so I think it's the combination of that that kind of signaled his, his end uh, for himself at Dortmund and why he decided to leave. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. Yeah, seven years, seven years at Dortmund and seven years at Mainz, which, I mean, he, I think he's 52 now, which is surprising. We always sort of see Klopp as this youthful manager and, um, you know, possibly down to, down to his, his personality. But, I mean, that's, that's older than Guardiola, older than Conte, um, older than, you know, some of the, 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 the big managers that seem to have been around for a, a long time as well. It'd be, it'd be interesting to hear, Cam, your thoughts on the Dortmund midfield and how that's possibly translated to Liverpool now and other teams. Uh, interested in your, your thoughts because it felt like the, the, his, his, it feels like the way Klopp likes to structure his midfield is very different to how a lot of teams like to structure him, at least in terms of personnel. Yeah, so Klopp's midfield is throughout his entire managerial career have been kind of um, workhorse type midfielders, if you like. Um, at Dortmund, I think they were called hunters with um, Bender mm-hmm. and Gundogan in terms of that, that counter-pressing again and that pressing, but they don't seem to have um, creative players in that deeper midfield area. Obviously, in Dortmund in a four-two-three-one, he had Gertz from players like that, but the... Um, if you're in a if you're in a three man midfield in a Klopp team, it's usually does work off type players who have a skill sort of the skill set of being really good at pressing, um, 
have that kind of positional awareness of where they need to be, but don't need that kind of flair and creativity. So I remember when Liverpool had Coutinho, it was a struggle fitting him in when we got Mane and players like that, because it's kind of like, where do you play him? Because if you want a Coutinho-type player in the Klopp team, he's going to have to counter-press and have that that physical um, skill set to win the ball back all the time and press all the time. So throughout his career with Liverpool, we've now got Wijnaldum, Henderson, Fabinho, um, Oxlade-Chamberlain, who are all really good athletes, um, Bender and Gundogan, um, Sebastian Kale as well, um, who was fairly sure, old yeah. at the end of mm-hmm. um, Klopp's reign, but he, he still did his job perfectly well. Do you, for me personally, I feel like Klopp's a little unique in a sense that he is one of the only managers off the top of my head, and you might be able to come up with a few more because I, 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 I can think of any others, one of the, the few managers whose personality seems to really embody his philosophy, uh, his playing philosophy. Um, and I wondered what your thoughts were on that, whether you think that's an uh, effective is it an effective tactic or is it just a happy accident or can you think of any other managers that perhaps um, are similar I think Diego Simeone embodies his <laughs> playing style quite well oh yeah <laughs> good yeah and uh, yeah okay and, and obviously they knocked uh, Liverpool at the Champions League this year as well so that's a <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, do, do you think that's a a management tactic do you think that's or do you think that's just the way he is um, I know um, that he I, structures his training. I know that they structure their training to to value the the principles of intensity. There's there's mm-hmm. I mean there's there's a lot of exercises that have been put out there where you know they took Pep Linders has spoken about how they want to coach the players to really get that philosophy through everything that they do. Sorry, Cam, jump in. Yeah, um, we're almost going into a, a coaching um, talk now, but. That's all right. We can go into we can we can go into a coaching talk. It's fine. But I think it certainly helps if you're coaching something like counter pressing or you counter attacking that you've got some kind of intensity or um, energy about you because you want to trans- translate that energy into your players. Um, if you're gonna if you're gonna coach counter pressing, you want your players to immediately have to have lost the ball, sprint and go and win it back very aggressively. It helps mm-hmm. create an environment in mm-hmm. which it's right. I need to go now. Quickly go. <laughs> Um, so, so it certainly helps, but I don't think every coach who ever coached, who has ever coached counter pressing, is like that. Um, as long as you get the message across to players somehow. Um, but, but yeah, it's certainly been effective for him, and his personality certainly seems to be a big, a big draw to him. Cole, uh, I'll let you jump in on this one. This is the sort of question that I'd like us to discuss at the end of this podcast. Um, do you feel, um, what do you feel Klopp's sort of legacy has been on the Bundesliga? What kind of, uh, I mean, it's, it's relatively obvious in some, in some aspects, but nevertheless, what kind of football um, has he, has he left? What kind of like uh, influence has he had on the, on German football and what influence has he had on the coaches in the Bundesliga right now? I I think one of his big influences again, just kind of being one of those first really young managers to come in and to put their own unique playing style uh, in play and and really commit to it. I think that 
had opened the doors for a lot of the younger managers now. Um, obviously, we have Nagelsmann, but also uh, Tedesco is a, a German manager who um, I think definitely it kind of gave permission to clubs to be like, all right, if if it fails, like, I mean, no one would consider Mainz getting relegated a, <laughs> a success, right? But um, they they kind of were willing to take that risk. And I think that risk that they took with Klopp allowed other clubs to take the risk and not look foolish in front of their, uh, in front of their supporters, which is, I mean, that's, <laughs> especially in Germany, that's one of the most important things that they consider. And so I think that in terms of the kind of culture, uh, obviously in terms of the playing gig and pressing is, is the, is the big thing that stands out. Um, and just kind of layering in that complexity to it, uh, where they, <clears throat> excuse me, where they aren't just, as we said, it's chaos, but it's organized chaos, and it's it's those focus on transitions um, that become so important that teams nowadays are still looking to take advantage of. Like especially, you think of uh, at times are RB Leipzig really try to take advantage of of transitions. Um, I think that. Klopp was able to kind of bring about the importance of transitions and really shine a light on it by <laughs> taking such good advantage of teams that weren't prepared to mm-hmm. to handle those transitions. Cam, any any I mean, when we talk about coaches, we often look at their influences and I think one of the the most obvious ones that gets put around the internet all the time is Marcelo Bielsa and Mm-hmm. how he has disciples and the likes of Gabriel Ainsay, who I know you covered in this month's Total Football Analysis magazine, but then also the likes of um, Pep Guardiola as well. Is Klopp at that level? Do you think he has disciples? There are coaches right now working in the Bundesliga or the second Bundesliga that have, have been heavily um, influenced by him? I'd say so, but then there's also the factor of are they influenced by who he was influenced by? Um, sure. Very true. I think he's... Klopp's definitely set the stereotype of, of German football for the next 10 years, I think, in terms of um, if you ask a random bloke on the street who knows a little bit about football, how German teams played, probably say um, along those lines. Um, I know people, whenever you mention German football in the Bundesliga, the first word that comes in the head is gegenpressing. Um, not sure. everybody uses it in the correct way or knows what it actually means, but... Um, but yeah, transitions are still a massive part of German football and one of the one of the main reasons I was actually drawn to watching it and covering it. Um, obviously, successful teams at the moment who are kind of like that. You've mentioned RB Leipzig. Um, Mönchengladbach are like that, I think. Um, Schalke as well. Obviously, David Wagner, who um, is mates with uh, Klopp and worked with him at Dortmund as well. Um, so it's obviously still effective. Um Ralph Rangnick as well is also a massive name in terms of that. And I think he's mm-hmm. about to get a new job at AC Milan. So that should be interesting. Yeah, that looks like an, an incredible appointment. And I think you're right about the definition of gig and pressing. I think a lot of English fans just sort of classify it as pressing rather than mm-hmm. the, the, count, the counter pressing that we've spoken about already in this podcast. Um, well, okay. And in that case, it'd be nice then, Carl, for you to finish off the podcast with a little conclusion on on club, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, I think his, in terms of his 
contributions to the Bundesliga. It's uh, one of the most in recent history, at least one of the more or most important people to do it in terms of how he impacted the game, how he impacted the culture, um, and also how he his his personality impacted mm. um, the game overall. I think, especially uh, in Germany, we don't normally see people who are as charismatic as him uh who are as honest as him who are as open as him um mm-hmm. and i think si- that intensity but also with that um humility it really um kind of makes him stand out as one of the super important managers and and someone who has had a large impact on the bundesliga couldn't have put it better myself thank you so much for coming on today carl um, obviously, the Bundesliga is coming back next week in, in strange circumstances, but nevertheless, it is going to be back. Um, so Cam and I are going to be pumping out a couple of podcasts, hopefully either side of those games. Um, if you listen to the podcast, um, perhaps you haven't watched a great deal of the Bundesliga this season, but are certainly keen to get into it and, and um, looking to get to know the teams a little bit better. Uh, Cam and I are hopefully going to get a podcast out for Friday. Um, to discuss the games coming up this this weekend, and then, and then again, as soon after, ideally Monday, maybe Tuesday, breaking down all the games as well. So, um, yeah, please make sure you tune into those ones. Uh, thank you very much for listening. If you have any coaches that uh, you want to hear us break down over the next uh, month or two, then please do uh, drop us an email at Cam. What is it? TFA Bundesliga at gmail fantastic um (laughs) right (laughs) that's it uh look forward to seeing you guys soon thank you for listening